quite a few years ago, a pastor named Bill Hybels, who is the pastor of the Willow Creek Church, who facilitates this Global Leadership Summit we're running here on Friday, he, um, he got up to his church, and this was in a phase when um, the, the church in America, but also in the Western world, is having facing real difficulties, real challenges, and lots of people are very skeptical and not sure about the church, and there are lots of other cool things that they're excited about. And so the church, everything looked kind of grim and dim. And then Bill Hybels gets up on this pulpit, and he delivers this amazing sermon, incredible, where he reads from Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus says, I will build my church in the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Bill does this amazing speech where he, he goes through all the different ways and he talks about all the different unique things that Jesus is doing in and through the church and he finishes with this big statement, this, this giant thesis, this flag in the ground against everything everyone else was saying. When everyone else said the church has no hope, Bill puts his flag in the ground and says, no, 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 it's not that the church has no hope, it's actually that the local church is the hope of the world. And this whole room was like, like, it was super inspiring. You can find some of the videos online, and if you have the time, just like Google Heibel's Local Church's Hope of the World, because it's crazy inspiring. And when he said this, he often says this to rooms full of pastors and leaders. And so this is, these are people who have dedicated their whole lives to the church. Everything they do is to see the local church succeed. So when he says something like this, all this local church is super excited. They're like, yes! All these pastors are like, finally, I have the reason, the answer, and I'm just going to show Bill Heibel's video to everyone. And it was really inspiring. It's a great phrase to hold on to. The issue is, is that after Bill Hybels put this, put this flag on the ground and said the local church is the hope of the world and everyone got crazy excited and thought, this is amazing, this will be the answer. Willow Creek has all this influence in America. Surely there's going to be this, this change, this redevelopment, this fresh vision for the local church. It'll start to arise, right? Well, it didn't quite work out that way, so I want to show you a video of Often, despite Heibel's view of the church, this is practically day-to-day -day often what our church experiences end up looking like. Nick and Molly just moved to the city and can't agree on what they want. They are young and energetic and looking for a new church home. We'll take some personality tests, tour the sites, ask some questions, and based on taste, experience, and location, we'll find them the perfect congregation. I'm Corey Clark, and welcome to Church Hunters. We're so excited to find a church. We just started dating. Um, with the churches we go to now, just not, like for us, just not really doing it for us, you know? Right, I, I go to a satellite campus. I just find it hard to connect emotionally with a video screen. It's just... Okay, you cry during Cake Boss. So like, we've been doing a lot of services online, a lot of podcasts. There are a lot of preachers we do like. Really good, but we want, we want serious yet funny. Yeah, like commanding of the stage yet relatable, you mm -hmm. know? We're more looking for uh, the humor of Andy Stanley with the body of Stephen Furtick. Hey guys, What's happening? I'm Corey. Good to see you, my name's Nick. This hey, is Molly. Hey guys, welcome to Church Hunters. This is your first church. This is Creekside First Baptist. So while it is traditional, it's still pretty current. Just okay. this year, the pastor started untucking his shirts. Oh, Ooh, wow. that's good. Big deal. He does dress his age though, so don't worry. He's past the Osteen suit phase, but he hasn't gone full Giglio yet. Okay, oh. so there's holes in the knees or no? Well, it's frayed, but no holes. Frayed, oh. no, okay, got it, yeah. perfect. Okay. So hey, let me show you around, okay? Right, let's Come on. let's do it. I do love this lobby. It's a great lobby, you know? Yeah. It's not too big, not too small. Yeah. It should be enough room to catch up, chat with your friends. So you need. But here's a great thing. There's a bunch of side exits, so if you need to leave early and catch the game, you can do that. Got it. Yes. Yeah. 
Honestly, right up front, uh, didn't love the name. No, I, First Baptist? Who names a church that anymore? I just... Not these days. We're looking no. for like a Thrive Church, maybe Relevant Church, I don't know, Radiant Church, something. This is the soundboard they use here. Okay. Now remember, right. it's pretty traditional here. So, when Sunday comes around, they turn it way down low. Got it, <laughs> yeah. But the one knock on this church, they still use the child care numbering system on the screens. Ooh, uh, for the... Yeah. Yep. Or as the moms like to call it, the Sanctuary Walk of Shame. The Sunday morning experience was just a little too traditional for, for us. For us. I mean, the pastor's main point, 157 characters. I can't tweet that. I really think you guys are going to love this place. I like we it. We do. We like Feels it. Great. Yeah. You know, it's diverse, but it's not like too diverse, you know? Uh, um, Scripture-heavy sermons? Oh, or, yeah. 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 What about, uh, is it community-oriented? Absolutely. Great. Oh, women in ministry? The parking situation, you guys gotta see it. Super rare nowadays. Come with me. There's like a, a maybe for when my parents we'll come into to town yeah. for a church for Christmas, Easter type of church. Like a holiday, holiday type church. One of the main reasons that I love this church for you guys is that on your personality test, Molly, you scored high in service and hospitality. Oh, babe. And there's wow. a great welcome team you could join. Perfect. Okay. And then Nick, you scored really high in need for accountability. Wow. And the men's groups here are amazing. You're just, you're just gonna put that out there? Hey, just God like knows that? your heart, okay? On the next episode of Church Hunters. I think you're really gonna love this place. They take relevance to a whole new level. This church identifies as interdenominational. This pastor speaks out of a brand new translation. It's the Tumblr Bible. God bless America, hey, right? Um, my favorite two jokes in that are, A, who names a church Baptist anymore? That was, that's great. I'm starting off on a good step with Golden Sands Baptist. And, um, my other favorite little joke in that is, it's diverse, but not too diverse. That, was, that made me laugh for a lot. Anyway, this, you've got these polar opposites. Eh? You've got Heibel saying, this is the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world. And then you've got, really, this is a lot of our experiences in day-to-day -day life. When we think about church, when we're thinking about what we're expecting, what we want church to be, Heibel says that church is the hope of the world, but we often don't agree on what that hope is meant to look like, what that expectation is meant to be. And so it really forces you to look at, when Heibel says something like that, we have to stop and ask ourselves, what is your vision for the church? What do you understand the church to be? And it's often difficult for us as preachers. We, we try to communicate all these theological principles, and, and a common refrain you'll often get back is, oh, you're just, it's too high, it's too up in the sky, like you're just talking about ideas, it's not really practical enough. But this is one of those scenarios where actually ideas really make a difference. Because what you think about something, what you ex like, expect something to be, very much changes your experience of it. So for example, if you heard about a new joint in town that was doing fusion pizza, and you're like, yeah, fusion pizza flavors, that'll be great. You go there, and you order your pizza, and you get kale and beetroot. You're like, well, it's fusion, but that's not really what I expected. Or say you're like wanting to sign some documents, you got to get some legal stuff taken care of, but you're always intimidated by lawyers because you use all the big fancy words that you're not sure of. And so you're asking around, hey, is there a really friendly lawyer? So someone recommends someone like, oh, I've met the friendliest lawyer ever in town. So you've got this idea, this expectation of what that lawyer will be like, what, how the event will go down. And so when you go and meet this lawyer, he's really friendly, but as he's going through your documents, he pulls off your shoes and starts massaging your feet. And you're like, ah. Technically, this is true, but this isn't what I expected. I didn't, I didn't really sign up for this. And so your experience is changed based on your conception, your idea. And the same is true for us in church. 
what we're thinking about church, what we're thinking church is meant to do, what we think church is meant to be, will very much influence whether we think the church is the hope of the world or not. And that will very much influence whether we get engaged or disengaged. And so what we're going to do this morning is take a quick moment to take stock. Think through your own mind. Think through your own expectations. What do you think the church is meant to be? What is your church's vision? Because we all have different ideas. A really common one is we view the church as a place to get a spiritual top-up. Common phrases are, um, look, it's just a place where we can come together, you know, and we can get fed. You know, we can eat the meat of the gospel, spit out the bones, and chew on the fat, and use all these other weird expressions that no one would use for anything else. We have this idea that the week is hard, we go do hard things, and we have to work in the dirty, mean world, and then every Sunday we get to walk into this haven of peace and serenity, and someone will preach to us, and and we'll sing and worship, and we'll get our spiritual tanks topped up. It's often a very, very easy way for us to think about the church. And to be fair, those of us here on staff, as we're planning out the services, we do try to do those things really well. We, I mean, I know those of us on the preaching team, we do a lot of work thinking through how is this going to be very effective, how is this going to work well. I know Darren and the team, they work really hard to make sure that music is the best that it can be. The problem is, we're not always going to be that great. Like, Let's be honest, we're going to, Craig and I, probably Craig more than me, (laughs) he's not here, we're going to preach some dud sermons, right? You know? And, like, Darren's a great singer, but he's going to hit it flat sometimes. Like, it's just the nature of it. And when that happens, suddenly what the church is meant to be, your spiritual top-up, we're not topping you up as much as you want to. And to be fair, also, there's much more relaxing ways to spend your Sunday morning. Like, there are loads of different preachers. So if you're, like, wanting to get really hyped up, you could listen to Stephen Furtick. Plus, he's got great hair, you know, and those shiny teeth and big old biceps. You can listen to him or watch his videos at home or wherever you want to. Or say you're in the mood for something a bit more intellectual, something that challenges your thinking, you can listen to Tim Keller. He's got all these great thoughts. Every sentence feels like it's so deep, you've got to think about it for a week. Or if you're feeling a little bit controversial, a little bit liberal, like you're trying to push the edges of your faith and say, I'm not in my parents' faith, you can, you can listen to Rob Bell. He's still talking about stuff. He's a fantastic communicator. You can go listen to Rob Bell. Or if you're, having the, if you're sick of having the gospel mansplained to you by white men in the Middle Ages, you could listen to, to Teresa Fry Brown, who, as a side note, is an amazing preacher. Teresa Fry Brown, it's wonderful because she's not a white dude preaching about the gospel, and it changes everything. So there's all these different people you could listen to preach. And you wanna, even the best part of it is, is you can get them all on your phone, and on a Sunday morning, rather than coming in here, at whatever time you want, you could go down to the beach, pull up a chair, sit there, listen to these amazing podcasts so you can download the new Hillsong album, listen to that there, and have all the spiritual top-ups you want right out there on the beach. And you know what? Probably they're going to do a really great job, and you'll probably feel really relaxed. You'll probably learn something new. you probably think, oh, this was really meaningful. And so when you do that, it makes you question, what's, what's the point of the local church then? And if the hope of the world is based on the church's ability to top you up, then actually the hope of the world is based on mass media marketers who can make sure that we get the biggest preacher out to you. The hope of the world is actually based on the next biggest band who can write the next biggest songs. And that's what the hope of the world is based on if it's just a spiritual top-up. Now, but I know most of you guys are like, I'm not, please, I'm not that consumer-orientated. For me, the church is all about community relationships. It's about, it's about people. It's about coming in, and we've got, again, a whole set of phrases for that. We want some people to be real with. 
We want some people to journey with. We want some people to do life with. We want some people to share our hearts with. We want some people to fellowship with. We want some people to have some deep and meaningfuls with. We've got a whole assortment of phrases to try and say the same thing, which is we want some friends, right? And to be fair, churches, we do try to do that. Community is a really big buzzword. We talk about community all the time. We've got all these phrases and discussions that we have saying, hey, look, the church is about the people. Come in. Get connected. Get stuck in. Get in one of our life groups, our circle groups, our community groups, our, our hip groups, our phase groups. You know, there's all these different spaces where you can get involved. And that is really important. The difficulty is if the hope of the world is based just on our ability to facilitate good community relationships, what happens if six months from now you find out the person you really liked is actually a New Zealand first voter? And you're like, ah, oh, they held the country ransom. Or what if they're a national voter and you're like, ah, you've been starving our social services. Or they're a labor supporter and you're like, no, you're going to spend all of our money and taxes to death. You know, and you suddenly start getting angry and frustrated with them. And to be honest, any relationship will only go for about six months before it starts getting really difficult. And relationships will break down. The people who you thought were amazing, they'll talk behind your back. You'll lend them some money. They're never going to pay it back. They're going to bail on you for some event. And sure enough, in enough time, you're going to be like, ah, this just, that church isn't very community-minded. The community there isn't very strong. It's not very good. And the church doesn't have a monopoly on community. There are lots of other great, great community groups who aren't churches. I mean, to be honest, you can go down to most of the pubs and you've got a great community group in that pub with all these drinkers who all know each other and they're all just as dysfunctional as each other, and it's great. You know, they have a great time there. And to be honest, a lot of the pubs probably can get through their grievances easier because they're not trying to be polite with one another. They just say it right to each other's faces. And so if the hope of the world is based on community, then we've got a real difficulty if the church is just meant to be that because we're going to screw up. We're not going to like each other. And we find that even more difficult. As much as we love the nature of community, we love the idea of having friends and the church being a place for that, we have a real difficult point in the gospel considering so much of the gospel is about bringing people who don't like each other together. Like normally when we say, I'm a, I want a church with community, that means I want to go to a church with a bunch of other people like me. Which is, ah, oh, that church doesn't have a lot of community, which is they didn't have a lot of young people with kids. There weren't enough youth there. There weren't enough people who were working there. And it just, that wasn't very community. I couldn't fit there. I couldn't connect there. That wasn't my place. When, that's a real difficult position to hold considering that the main thing that proclaimed the gospel in the book of Ephesians when you read it is that Paul is saying, look, we know the gospel is real because it brought together two groups of people that hated each other. In fact, the, the pages of the New Testament are filled with people saying, I don't want to worship with them. Have you seen how they worship? Have you seen how they eat? Have you seen what they do to their little boys? I do not want to worship with them. And this is Paul and all these people saying, well, get over it because we're bringing people together. So if the gospel is just, if the church is meant to be community, then we're going to have a tough space thinking that is the hope of the world. And then there's probably some of you who are super, super spiritual that says, look, it's not about just, you know, hearing preaching because I can do that on my own. It's not about community because I know that God is enough. For me, the church is about social action. We have to take care of the poor. We need to heal the sick. We need to bind up the brokenhearted. All those great words from Luke when Jesus spoke in the temple. This is what the church is all about, and we're going to go out and do it. Mission, mission, mission. Go, go, go. Draw people in. Call them in. Call them in. Call them in. And that's great. The church has often done a pretty good job of that. I mean, the NHS in the UK, 
that was born through by the church, uh, ending uh, slavery and the slave trade. Those were committed members of the church who did that. And the church has done some great things. And as a church, we all, most churches will try to do social action really well. And so you might stick in a church for a little while doing that until your AGM comes up and it's budget time and you realize how much of the budget is allocated to mission and how much of the budget is allocated to just keeping the doors open. And if the church is all about mission, you're going to be furious, right? You're going to be saying, look how many millions and millions and millions we're doing just lining Colin's paycheck when really we got to go out and serve and feed the poor. What are we doing? And so eventually you're going to get frustrated and truth be told, the church does not have a monopoly on social activism or social services. There are many incredible, incredible community organizations and non-for-profits that are doing outstanding work, often more efficiently, more effectively, and often more thought through than the local churches. And so if your whole view, the hope of the world is getting into social activism, then you're not going to stick with the local church for a while because we're not as good at it as other people. And so it leaves you thinking, well, if it's not about getting a spiritual top-up, if it's not about community, and if it's not about serving the poor, or doing social action, then, then what is it? Why is the local church the hope of the world? Why do we have to dedicate ourselves and our lives to this thing? Why is it such a big deal? And you're probably asking, Colin, you're a flippin' hypocrite. Like, you're, you're a pastor. Like, this is what you're devoting your life to, right? Like, I'm, my whole life is spent trying to make sure we can get a new one of these organizations popped up on the other side of the city, in a city with arguably quite a few churches as it is. So why are we going through all this extra work to do that? And you have to ask yourself, why and what is your church vision? I've got an answer, but I don't think you're going to like it. That's, that's really it. And now it feels a little bit like Sunday school, doesn't it? You know, like, what's the answer to 2 plus 2? Jesus! Safe bet. I went to a Christian school and as a joke, nine times out of ten, it did actually work well as an answer for a question. Like, who stormed the Potomac River in America? Jesus? I don't, Jesus was probably leading them. I don't, I don't know. And they'd be like, yeah, that's good. We're not what we're looking for, but good job, little Christian. Um, and so it's really easy for that to be our pat answer. Just to be like, oh, well, it's Jesus. Now let's go home. We've thought about it. That's the end. But... I think that's often based because we don't have a great conception of what Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. See, often our ideas about Jesus is that he's this great dude, right? Fully God, fully man. We've got all our theology sorted, right? So he's God, man, Jesus, right? He came through, he died, he magically got rid of all of our sin by dying on a cross, so we no longer have to feel bad for ourselves. He's gone up to heaven, and he's doing his heaven thing, right? Just hanging with the angels, chilling, you know? listen to him to sing songs about himself. He's happy about that. So he's up in heaven doing his thing up there. And uh, so down here, it's our job to make sure that we kind of carry on in his name. You know, we try to do some of the things that he did. We try to read his stories and try to emulate him as best as we can. So we'll try and move forward with Jesus' mission while he's up in heaven. And he'll do some stuff, like, but mainly he'll just listen to our prayers when, um, you know, when we've done something naughty and we're too ashamed to tell anyone else and we won't take the pages of the Bible literally about confessing our sins to one another. So we'll just confess our sins to Jesus so we can feel better about ourselves. So Jesus will listen to those prayers and he'll hang out in heaven and do his thing. And then it's our job to, you know, carry on with the church business while he's up there in heaven. So 
You know, and he sent some Holy Spirit to us that will, you know, make us feel better when we're sad, and you might get us to speak in tongues or shiver every once in a while, and that'll be our spiritual top-up that can keep us continuing on with the mission. And so the church is there to, basically, what we're trying to do is we got all these people out there who aren't in our club, and the church's mission is to take people from this part of the world and just drag them kicking and screaming over the lines, and then once they're inside our club, we're like, cool, all right, job's done. That's often what our vision of Jesus and his gospel and his message is. And if that's your view of God, and if that's your view of who Jesus is, that's going to greatly affect how you view the church. But Jesus is so much bigger than that. He is so much more than that. In Colossians, Paul writes about this. Talking about Jesus, he says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That is not a picture of a passive Jesus waiting in heaven. That is not a picture of a Jesus who's just hoping we get on with the work. That is a Jesus who is so proactive. He is the one who is doing everything. He's the one who's drawing people in. He's the one who's calling us forward. He's the one who's doing all this work. And when we view church as those other things, do you realize who's doing all the work? Do you realize who's in charge? Do you realize who the hope rests on? Us. If it's a spiritual top-up, then it's our job to make sure people feel good about themselves. If it's a community, it's our job to make sure we can have friends with one another. If it's social action, then it's our job to make sure we're loving the poor. It's all based on us. And if we have that view, then we think about church and we think, it's almost like we're like, oh, Jesus, thank you for, you know, tearing the veil, shaking heaven and earth so that I can be in right relationship with you. Now, about this church thing, um, yeah, I might get, I'll see if I can get involved in one of these areas. You know, I'll see whether I can grace the church with my presence and help it get along. You've done all the work for me, and I'm getting to heaven. I'm in the club. That's cool. And now with the church, I'll see what I can do to kind of keep it moving forward. Such a small short-sighted view if we think about the church that way. Instead, it's not like we get to grace the church with our presence. Don't you realize it's so much different? It's like Jesus is actually, we're stuck in our selfishness, our materialism, our hypocrisy, all the stupid things we're focusing on, and we're just going about our business, and it's like Jesus grabs us by the scruff of our neck as we're loving all the dirt we're stuck in and pulls us in to this brand new kingdom. He douses us with this cold, fresh water of baptism, and we awake bleary-eyed in this brand new world, looking over at a bunch of other misfits and broken people and hypocrites who've also been drugged in by Jesus, and we're all standing together like, what are we doing? Who grabs a group like this? Who picks these sort of people? And we're looking around like, what, what are we meant to do now? Because the church is this group of messed up, broken people who've been saved by grace by a great leader, and he is still leading us. So why has the church survived? Why is the church going to keep on going forward? 
look, the church has made it for 2,000 years, and it's certainly not because of our own creativity. It's certainly not because of our own great leadership. Think of all the stupid things the church has been involved in for the past 2,000 years. The scandals, the wars, the murder, the sexual allegations, the, the, the bad use of finances. The church has screwed things up royally. Yet we have continued. Why? Not because of us, but because Jesus is still dragging us in by the scruff of our necks, throwing us into this new kingdom, and that's why the church has so much potential. Who else but Jesus would pick someone like you? Who else like Jesus would pick someone like me? I don't feel qualified to do what I'm doing. I'm terrified every week. I'm walking blindly thinking, I don't know what's going to happen next. Jesus, what's happening? And it's Jesus who then taps you on the shoulder and says, you, you, yeah, you feel incredibly unqualified to do that? Great, I'm going to have you go speak to kings and princes. You, you, you're terrified of leading people? Great, here's a church. Take care of them. You, you're afraid of going out and sharing the gospel? Great, I'm going to use you to proclaim the gospel to the world. Because it's not us, it's Jesus who holds this church together. And it's Jesus who is leading us on every step of the journey. And it's Jesus who is sustaining us and carrying us beyond where we think we could go. And when we look to the future, the church is going to keep on going because it's Jesus who is still leading the church. That is the core of Baptist church theology. It's that it's not Craig or the elders who are leading this church. It's not the people that you appoint that are leading this church. Baptist theology says Jesus is leading our church. And together we are going to follow his leading wherever he takes us. And that takes crazy courage because Jesus is way more radical, way more forward-thinking, way more active than we could ever hope to be. We're sitting in here playing in the dirt thinking we're doing a great job with church when Jesus is like, don't you see there's so much more? That is why the church is going to continue. The church is going to sustain because we have one who is sustaining it. So it makes you ask that question, what is your vision for the church? What is your understanding? What is, it, what is your expectation of what the church should be? As we uh, come to a close, I want to finish by reading you it was written by uh, a group of prayer people in the UK um, back in the 90s. Um, it's called The Vision. And if you're at a stage where you feel like you've lost a little bit of your own vision for what the church could be, if you've gotten sick, just like that video, if you've gotten sick with just all those superficial things that we argue over, you see the politics, you see us arguing about the sound and, and the next series content, and you see us arguing about the budgeting, and you see us arguing about what's going to happen next, and you're sitting there thinking, gosh, I don't know if I want to still be involved in this. Or maybe you're not even a Christian, and you've walked in here today, and you're like, oh, I'll check this out. And you're like, oh, I, don't know if, I don't know if this is for me, because there's a lot of stuff here I'm not excited about. As I read this, hi guys, as I read this, maybe this can add some fresh vision to yours. And maybe God can lift up our eyes to begin to look at him rather than ourselves. So this guy comes up to me and he says, what's the vision? What's the big idea? I open my mouth and the words come out like this. The vision? The vision is Jesus, obsessively, dangerously, undeniably Jesus. The vision is an army of people. You see bones? I see an army. 
And they are free from materialism. They laugh at nine-to-five little prisons. They could eat caviar on Monday and crusts on Tuesday. They wouldn't even notice. They're mobile like the wind. They belong to the nations. They need no passport. People write their addresses in pencil and wonder at their strange existence. They are free, yet they are slaves of the the hurting and the dirty and the dying. What is the vision? The vision is holiness that hurts the eyes. It makes children laugh and it makes adults angry. It gave up the game of minimum integrity long ago to reach for the stars. It scorns the good and strains for the best. It is dangerously pure. Light flickers from every secret mode of every private conversation. It loves people away from their suicide leaps and their Satan games. This is an army that will lay down its life for the cause. A million times a day, its soldiers choose to lose that they might one day win the great, well done, faithful sons and daughters. Such heroes are as radical on Monday morning as they are on Sunday night. Or they don't need fame from names. Instead, they grin quietly upwards and hear the crowds chanting again, again, and again, come on! And this is the sound of the underground. The whisper of history in the making. Foundations shaking, revolutionaries dreaming once again. Mystery is scheming in whispers, conspiracy is breathing. This is the sound of the underground. And the army is disciplined. They beat their bodies into submission and every soldier would take a bullet for his comrade at arms. The tattoo on their back boasts, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Sacrifice fuels the fire of victory in their upward eyes. Winners, martyrs, who can stop them? Can hormones hold them back? Can failure succeed? Can fear scare them or death kill them? And the generation prays like a dying man with groans beyond talking, with warrior cries, sulfuric tears, with great barrel loads of laughter, waiting, watching, 24-7-3-6-5. Whatever it takes, they will give breaking the rules and shaking mediocrity from its cozy little hide, laying down their rights and their precious little wrongs, laughing at labels, fasting essentials. The advertisers cannot mold them, Hollywood cannot hold them, and peer pressure is powerless to shake their resolve at late-night parties before the cockerel cries. They are incredibly cool, dangerously attractive inside. On the outside, they hardly care. They wear clothes like costumes to communicate and celebrate, but never to hide. Would they surrender their image or their popularity? They would lay down their very lives, swap seats with a man on death row, guilty as hell, a throne for an electric chair. With blood and sweat and many tears, with sleepless nights and fruitless days, they pray as if it all depends on God and act as if it all depends on them. Their DNA chooses Jesus. He breathes out. They breathe in. Their subconscious sings. They had a blood transfusion with Jesus. Their words make demons scream in shopping centers. Don't you hear them coming? Herald the weirdos. Summon the losers and the freaks. Here comes the frightened and the forgotten with fire in their eyes. They walk tall and trees applaud. Skyscrapers bow. Mountains are dwarfed by these children of another dimension. Their prayers summon the hounds of heaven and invoke the ancient dream of Eden, and this vision will be. It will come to pass, and it will come easily, and it will come soon. How do I know? Because this is the longing of creation itself, the groaning of the Spirit, the very dream of God. 
My tomorrow is his today. My distant hope is his 3D. And my feebled, whispered, faithless prayer invokes a thunderous, resounding, bone-shaking, great amen from countless angels and heroes in the faith and from Christ himself. For he is the original dreamer, the ultimate winner, guaranteed. Let's stand. The local church is the hope of the world, not because of what we can do, but because Christ is in us. And he is the hope of glory. Let our eyes be lifted up. Let our expectations be shifted so that we are no longer content with mediocrity, but we are passionate about a church that is being led by the risen Savior God Almighty. Jesus, we open up our arms and say, we don't really know what we're doing here all the time. In fact, God, we're a room full of hypocrites, liars, alcoholics, adulterers, gamblers, stealers, abusers. We are only here because you have brought us in by your goodness. And you lead us forward. And so we have hope and faith not in us, but in you. So we look to you, King Jesus our risen, resurrected Savior who is not bound to the confines of heaven, but through His Spirit is leading His church, bringing heaven to earth. Jesus, fill us with a vision of You. Let us look to You and see You as You are. Fill us with faith and hope to see Your salvation on the earth. In Your name we pray. Amen.